Anthology presents Professor Challenger at the Precipice of Oblivion by Robert Thomas and Darren Freebury Jones, based on characters created by Arthur Conan Doyle. Part 4 The Disintegrate Escape. What a terrible couple of days. You'll recall, listeners, that having escaped immolation at the hands of our nemesis, Heinrich von Heimlich, who rained down destruction on the highlands of Scotland from a souped-up zeppelin, we found ourselves in ill-fitting pyjamas thanks to a misunderstanding about internment in a mental asylum. No sooner had we finished a hearty meal than we were aboard the Orient Express, where I nearly indulged in some real culture before being once again hauled into the dangerous world of my compatriot, Professor Challenger. Our mission to recover his stolen hair had landed us in a bit of bother, trapped inside a disintegration machine deep inside von Heimlich's base. This is probably it now, Challenger. It's most unlikely that events will conspire to keep us alive this time. Your optimism never ceases to amaze me, Peregrine, but I think that once again you may be wrong. Must you make my last moments all about you, Challenger? Yes, but these are not your last moments. Look! To my surprise, one of the guards suddenly clubbed the other over the head with a rifle, splaying them out on the cold floor of the laboratory. We watched as the guard rushed over to the control panel, pulling off his, or should I say, her helmet. Good lord, it's- Daisy McFarlane, you pair of dummies. Now quick, get out of that machine while you still have the time. The glass walls had lifted ever so slightly, affording us a crack through which to crawl. Challenger shuffled through first, but his unwieldy frame became trapped. You're trapped, Challenger. Not the first time I've been wedged in a crack. Come on, push harder. But you're stuck. How hard are you pushing? Nice and hard. Push harder. Really put your back into it. I'm trying. Oh, for God's sake. She grabbed Challenger by the arms and yanked him out, showing her surprising strength in both frame and character. I clambered out behind him, a split second before the glass came crashing down, and with a burst of electrical light, the machine disintegrated itself. Bit of a design flaw, that. Well, that was close. Close? Close? Yes, we had a lucky escape. My muscular frame was nearly the end of us. Your muscular frame? Now I am resolved. Having pulled out of that tight crack, it's time I got my spunk back. No more Professor Knight's Challenger anymore. Very good, Professor. Well, well, well. Daisy McFarlane, I thought you were dead. Well, as you can see, rumours of my death have been greatly exaggerated. You guys left me in the forest in Scotland, and then left me behind in Paris. Paris? Yeah, Perry here saw me running to catch the train, but didn't think to ask the conductor to stop. How did you get here so fast? That doesn't matter. What matters is that I spent years trying to track down von Heimlich, and because of you, he's getting away. Not quite. We know where he's going. Oh, uh, where? Iceland. Heinrich von Heimlich is after the Crystal Lake at the center of the Earth and its eternal life-giving powers. Why would he want that? Allow me to provide you some exposition, Miss McFarlane. You see... Come on, we need to escape the base. Oh, I see. 
When you need to provide exposition, that's all fine. But when I try to do it, we suddenly have to rush off. Challenger explained at length about our nemesis's evil scheme to take over the world by creating an army of immortal soldiers carrying disintegration ray guns. Then, when he was done, he decided that we need to get going. Come on, von Heimlich is getting away. Challenger snatched up the other gun, and together we hurried out into the corridors. It was an unending tunnel in which we found ourselves, but fortunately, there were clearly marked signs in both English and in German to the hangar. Challenger was certain that we would find von Heimlich there. Look, over there by the unisex toilets. Bilingual signs for the hangar. I'm certain that we will find von Heimlich there. We encountered few guards as we rushed through the base, and those that we did encounter were dispatched quickly by Daisy or Challenger, brandishing their weapons and exploding the soldiers into sparky clouds of death. Ha! That was a brief encounter. Ha! That was also a brief encounter. Ah, that encounter was brief as well. Shut up, Peregrine! Finally, we made it to the hangar, where von Heimlich was boarding his colossal zeppelin, ready to take to the skies. He smiled evilly when he saw us arrive, but then didn't wait around, instead retreating with his men up the gangplank and into the belly of the beast. We ran as fast as we could, but we were too late. The ramp had retracted. The ramp has... Retracted, yes, yes. Look, a plane! I didn't know you could fly a plane. There are a great many things I can do, Peregrine. Like craft a beautiful painting out of watercolours, build a breathtaking sculpture out of a piece of clay, and belch the full libretto of the entire works of Gilbert and Sullivan. But we don't have time to discuss what I can do, which is a lot. For, unless you hadn't noticed... Von Heimlich is getting away! It was true. The Zeppelin had already taken off, left the hangar, and was disappearing behind some clouds, ascending a stairway to heaven. Challenger hauled me over to the plane. Come on, get in! Daisy, get that prop spinning! Do you think this tiny biplane will be a match for that enormous Zeppelin? It's not the size that matters, Perry. It's how you use it. Hurry, McFarlane! Grab the gun! Challenger taxied to the end of the hangar, setting the bulge of the Zeppelin, as it was shrouded by the clouds, in his sights. Oh, tight! Then we were off, rushing out of the hangar, tumbling over the edge of the mountain into which it was set. Ah! And then, pulling on the stick, pulling it with all of his might, Challenger brought the nose of the little biplane up. Ah! Then he levelled out and plunged into I can't see them. They're somewhere in these clouds. Don't worry, Peregrine. He can't get away from us this time. That bugger is going to build me another machine. You say that you built the machine. Daisy! Any sign of them back there? Nothing, George. Keep an eye out. Well, you two became chummy very quickly. Unlike some people I seem to be perpetually stuck with, Peregrine, Daisy McFarlane isn't totally insufferable. Ah, uh, yes, but she is an American. And... Well, she is an American, you see. Over there! Eleven o'clock! We pitched sideways to probably about 51 minutes past ten, and looming towards us fast. The Zeppelin! Open fire! Tracers streaked the sky, 
glancing off the cloth of the Zeppelin, the beast seemed unmoved, however, and to our alarm... Gun replacements! Directly below, they're aiming at us! Take evasive action! Hold on! Ah! Ah! A rocket whizzed overhead, missing us by inches. <laughs> you missed! The machine gun fire that followed, however, didn't. We're hit! We're losing altitude! Any way we could patch her up? No, not from here. They've torn off the rudder. Well, that's ruddy bad news. Ha-ha! <laughs> Shut up, Peregrine! Hopefully I can find somewhere to land. The Zeppelin moved out of sight, vanishing once again behind the clouds. We dropped below the cloud cover and found that we were no longer in the mountains, but above the Roman countryside, just outside of... <gasps> Salzburg! Can you put us down there? I have a friend who may be able to help us. A friend, eh? Not another American, I hope. Is he regularly like this? He's about as regular as his bowel movements. Hold on tight! I felt the pit of my stomach rise up to the tip of my skull as he brought the plane down. The ground lunged up to meet us, ready to snare us in its jaws. We're coming in! This could be a bumpy landing! It wasn't. I say, Professor, what a fantastic landing. Thank you, Philip. Thank you very much indeed. We shook hands and said no more about it. We arrived in Salzburg and took in the sights of the city, winding our way through the beautiful Baroque and medieval streets of Altstadt on the left bank of the Salzach River. Daisy was at the head of our party, and Challenger was pursuing her with the determination of a gun dog on the scent of a particularly whiffy fox. I, on the other hand, was quite content to while away the day in the delightful sunshine. Challenger, perhaps we could stop in one of these lovely cafes for a coffee? Certainly. Oh, jolly good. Certainly not. It was worth a try. To be honest with you, I was rather glad that we didn't have time to hang around, for as we ducked into a narrow alleyway, we were nearly run over by a beautiful motor car, carrying along some decidedly snotty children. Father, you nearly ran them yes, over. You very nearly killed them. Be quiet, children. If this misbehaviour continues, then the Von Trapp children will find themselves at the receiving end of a Von Schlapp. The sooner your new governess gets here, the better. The car motored off, and as they vanished round the corner, the sound of music drifted away. Daisy, meanwhile, had been undertaking an extensive and very complicated secret knock on the door of a sheltered tavern. The Eagle's Dare. Oh, come on, let me in! No, not until you do the secret knock. I can't remember the secret knock, Caruthers. Let me in! Oh, no. Wait a moment. Caruthers! Oh, no. Yeah, Caruthers. Do you know- Stand back! I watched, amazed, as Challenger approached the door and knocked out a long and complicated pattern, and ended in what I was certain was Rule Britannia. Few things are more satisfying than knocking out a really good one. Seemingly reluctant, the door slid open, and the shadowy figure inside the tavern beckoned us in. In. Quickly. Well, it's about time. We stepped into the dimly lit tavern. The locals eyed us suspiciously. The scent of smoke hung thickly about us, a veil that choked our throats and matted our hair. Well, not challengers anyhow, as we paced quickly to a room at the back. Our hosts closed the door behind us and bade us to sit around a small wooden table, 
while he retrieves some shot glasses from a shelf in the corner. Placing them down on the table, he uncorked a whiskey bottle and poured us all a measure. Well, well, George Challenger. I almost didn't recognise you without your hair. Caruthers, I should have expected to find you holding Daisy's leash. I recognised your foul stench when we landed in Salzburg. You mistake my cologne for the sewers of cologne, I think, Professor. I thought you were dead, killed in the explosion in London. Rumours of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Well, it rather sounds like everything involving you has been greatly exaggerated. My name is... Yes, we all know about you, Mr. Peregrine. Ah, good. Is there a post office nearby? Huh. A post office? Yes, I need to write to my club. In all this excitement, I had forgotten to send a message to my club to put off payment for another week. I dreaded to think of the late payment charges. I'm afraid not. We need your help, Peregrine. Mine? No, his. Whose? (gasps) Peregrine's. Yes, my what? No, you ninny! Not your help! Peregrine's help! My... I think it would be better if we continue to refer to each other by our surnames. Quite. Why are you here then, Caruthers? We've been keeping an eye on von Heimlich Zeppelin. We're certain that his secret base is nearby. Been there, done that. Von Heimlich is on his way to Iceland. Which is why we need your help. American intelligence asking for our help. Well, haven't times changed? And Challenger, you asking for my help as well. I'd have expected you to contact one of your many friends across the globe. Jack Francois is busy, and the others I have had something of a... a falling out with. No, no, you you will need to help us if we are to stop von Heimlich from accessing the centre of the Earth, bottling up the waters of life from the Crystal Lake, and laying waste to the entire world with his disintegration ray guns. Not to mention my hair. Your hair? What has happened to your hair? Well, let me explain. We have all heard quite enough, Challenger. Carruthers, will you help us? The answer, as it turned out, was yes. Our lives for the next few days were a blur of planes, trains, and even a couple of automobiles as we plotted a leisurely course across what was once the ancient expanse of Germania. We munched marzipan in Munich, shoveled down schnitzel in Stuttgart, and chomped on currywurst in Cologne, and had a kebab in, um, Dusseldorf. Our winding voyage soon found us in Amsterdam, where, among a haze of legal narcotics and the buzz of a chocolate brownie which for some reason happened to be Challenger's favourite snack of all, we secured passage on a ship headed for Norway, where we would be able to transfer to a steamer bound for Iceland via the Faroe Islands, which I had no real interest in visiting, but was a necessary stopping point along the way. Carruthers had fronted up the cash for our entire journey, and as well as given Challenger enough money to buy a woolly hat for his naked head and a trunk full of heavy artillery and sidearms for his naked holster. I kept a bit of money back, hoping that I could hold on to it for long enough to make it to the centre of the earth and back again and to my club in the three days or so I had left to pay my tab before incurring yet more charges. I felt that it was unlikely, but I lived in hope. As the ship cast off that night and nosed noisily north to Norway, 
I looked out at the west, watching the distant horizon in hopes of seeing my beloved England. Once again, it felt so close, yet so far away. We arrived in Norway, and no sooner had we deboated than we reboated, settling into our cabins. Our fare could cover the cost of two cabins, which meant that Daisy had her own, and I was sharing with Challenger once again. Gosh, this takes me back, Challenger. Remember when we spent all that time rushing around the globe, sharing a berth? Yes. Next time, Peregrine, bring a bit more cash. Yes, it is rather cramped in here. You are sitting on my bunk, Peregrine. Get off! I thought I was top bunk. I'll let you put two and two together on this one. Now hurry up. We need to dress for dinner, and I'm starving. Are you not wearing your dinner suit? Peregrine, we are on a trawler in the middle of the North Atlantic, crewed by a bunch of cutthroat Viking descendants who have a predilection towards pickled fish. I think a dinner suit would be overdressing for the occasion somewhat. You may be right, Challenger. He wasn't. I'm so pleased I wore my dinner suit, Challenger. You're the only one not wearing one. <laughs> yes. Yes. You've mentioned that a few times since we sat down. He looked like a swaddled baby in his woolly hat and thick shawl. Frankly, I'd have probably been less embarrassed if the near-naked poor Tam were my dinner companion. Yes, the professor made for a very sore thumb indeed. I can hear everything you're saying, Peregrine. The professor was a maverick. He didn't conform to fashion rules. He made his own rules up, and all eyes looked on him enviously as he glowed among the dull, black-and-white crowd of etiquette-following sheep. Better. Breaking through the throng of diners, my eyes caught sight of a beautiful vision. Daisy was clad in a figure-hugging light green satin evening gown. She floated towards our table, her eyes trained on Challenger. You shouldn't stare. Well, you shouldn't look like that, Professor. Isn't that the same dress you wore on your mission to Cairo? During a dinner with a certain black marketer named Nadim Feckett? You know Feckett? I know Fackall. His third cousin's brother's postman. You've been doing your research, Professor? You've had a fascinating career with the American OSS, Miss McFarlane. Or is it Mrs. Beach? Or Lady Smith Smears Smith? I found it difficult to keep up with all of those names. Well, we wouldn't want that now, would we? I know a little about you too, Challenger. You were married once. Your wife died of influenza at your home in Kensington, London. That's correct. Though nothing you'd struggle to find in any newspaper archive. Trying to appeal to my emotions, eh? I won't fall for such tricks. Death follows you everywhere, it seems, Professor. Your best friend and son-in-law, Edward Malone, was murdered ten years ago. Son-in-law? Wait a moment. Ha! Water off a duck's back! Not long after, you had dealings with a black marketer yourself and purchased a kangaroo, which perished on a ship in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay, okay. You've made your point. You can be sensitive about some things, Professor. I was quite certain I saw a tear cascade down Challenger's right cheek. Shut up, Peregrine! It's not a tear! My cheek is, uh, dribbling. One of the many downsides of lacking hair follicles, you see. It was definitely a tear. Touché, Miss McFarlane. You're clearly a very good agent indeed. I was most impressed by your infiltration of a hollowed-out volcano, being used by a megalomaniac with a knife and fork for hands, who was intending to blow up the moon. 
the all-out battle with an army of trained ninjas with whom you had spent several months studying, as well as your dedication to the mission by completely changing your hairstyle, was particularly admirable. Professor, when on earth did you find the time to do all this research? Well, you're pretty impressive yourself, Challenger. Especially the way you blew up that noxious liquid-spraying giant sea urchin. He was urchin for it, really. Ha! I once ran a story on a particularly fierce goldfish, let me tell you. And the ingenious way you caught that pterodactyl? Ah, oh, mightily impressive. Have I told you both about my run-in with the nefarious Mayfair Pigeon? That made the front page of the Someone had to stop that pterodactyl. He was painting London white. Which reminds me of your mission in snowy Switzerland, involving a bevy of beautiful girls, intent on spreading a deadly virus across the world. Oh, yes! That was a good one. I particularly enjoyed the hair-raising ski chase ending in the small town of Lucienthal, where I stole a car and became involved in the annual stock car race as I tried to evade the villains. One must take risks in my line of work as well, you know. I once found myself locked in a school classroom in the middle of a particularly nasty disinfection. <gasps> what was that? I said one must take risks No! In... Not you and your eye-roll-inducing attempts at journalism, Perry. What was that noise? I don't hear anything. Just the clinking of glasses and the hubbub of diners trying not to sound too bored as they make meaningless conversation with strangers. It was a deep rumble. <gasps> there it is again. This time I heard it. A terrific rumble from above. It was like the heavens themselves were about to rage battle on our boat. According to Norse mythology, there will be a great battle between fire giants and the gods themselves, which will lay waste to the whole universe. I fear that battle is about to begin. You're not being serious, Professor, are you? No, but there is a storm coming. Yes, a storm is coming. A storm is coming? Indeed. A very ominous. Don't make it a cliché, Peregrine. Professor? Yes? I've got a bad feeling about this. As if on cue the entire room shuddered and the lights began to flicker on and off. I wolfed down the rest of my mules mariniers and then followed Challenger and McFarlane out of the restaurant which was becoming increasingly gripped in panic. Where, where are we going? To the bridge! We need to see how bad this storm is, and maybe find out where the lifeboats are. McFarlane grabbed me by the elbow and steered me away from the tumbling figure of a particularly corpulent tourist as the boat pitched sideways. Jeez, was that a wave? I am no marine meteorologist, Miss McFarlane, but I believe that we are in the throes of a pretty terrific hurricane. I think you'll find it's called a typhoon. Incorrect. In the North Atlantic, Central Pacific and Eastern North Pacific, the term hurricane is used. You may be confusing this with a similar disturbance in the Northwest Pacific, which would be called a typhoon. I don't think we have time to argue. The water is rushing in. Water was rushing in, crashing through the corridors. We fled towards a service ladder, which Challenger believed would lead up to the bridge. Quick, this way! After you, Miss McFarlane. Can I go first? No. Hurry up, Daisy. She scrambled up the ladder, and the two of us went far behind her. I felt the rush of icy water against my toes, and then against my naked ankle, as the force of the water ripped my shoe clean off. Oh, oh goodness me, that's cold. Stop complaining and climb. The water was quite literally laughing at our heels as we climbed up to the next level. A door ahead of us was marked bridge, in both English and whatever language they speak in Norway. Bro! This way! I am not your brother, Professor. No, you idiot! That's the Norwegian word for bridge! 
Through here! He kicked the door down, storming inside, startling the already rather stressed captain and first mate. You there! My name is Professor Challenger. I demand to know what is going on with this storm. English, Englishman, do you speak it? The captain looked at him with a dumbfounded expression. My expression, however, was one of terror, as through the wide banks of the windows looking out onto the North Atlantic night, I saw the colossal waves being kicked up by the seaborne hurricane, and one particularly big wave heading straight for us. Oh. My. Why doesn't anyone here speak English? At those very words, the roof of the world was torn away. We looked up to see the great black clouds launching missiles at each other, an ominous pounding noise accompanying the flashes of light. We could hear the screams of the diners below us as the ship rocked sickeningly before splitting in half, spilling passengers out into the dark sea below. The wave approached, a huge column of black that obscured all light, blocking out the stars and snuffing out the moon, plunging us into the murky light of a single light bulb left in the cabin. Then that too winked out. We shivered as a cold wind crashed through us. Then despite our efforts to steel ourselves, the waves smashed against the trawler. The captain and his crew were swept outside in an instant, the howls lost to the roar of the relentless sea. I managed to grab hold of Challenger's hand as we draped ourselves over the railings of the boat deck. Below, I could see people plunging to their deaths as the stern rushed up to meet us. With a horrific crash, Challenger, Daisy and I rode the length of what remained of the boat and were soon in the freezing water. My god, it's a miracle we survived that fall. We must find something to hold on to. It's ruddy freezing. Is, is everyone all right? Perrican, are you okay? I can't f feel my toes. Look at that bed panel, Professor. What about that? Good spot, Peregrine. But it is not a bed panel. Nor a wall panel, for that matter. It is the side of the ship. It has the name of the sh ship on it. S-S-S-S-S-Endeavor. Why does that sound familiar? Of course. Malone's warning in Scotland. The Endeavor is doomed from the start. Oh, we really ought to have written what he said down. Here, George, give me your hand. Thank you. Challenger flopped his whole whale-like frame on the not-the-bed panel next to her. Fortunately, there was more than enough room for me to accompany them. Help us, won't you, Challenger? Don't do that. Don't say your goodbyes just yet, Peregrine. I wasn't. Not yet. Do you understand? I'm not sure I follow. I'll never let go, Peregrine. But, but, Professor, you're pushing me I away. Promise. And with that, Challenger and Daisy drifted away, leaving me to bob up and down in the freezing North Atlantic. I could hear voices cry out in the darkness, and those voices grew hoarser and quieter, until soon there were no voices left at all. I could feel ice course through my veins, even freezing my eyelids open. And as the ineffable cold filled every inch of my body and I resolved to let the ocean take me for good, I tried bellowing out at the injustice of it all. 
I was confronted by silence and the cold. Oh, so cold embrace of certain death. Alone, lost in the darkness, I continued to cry out. How will I ever get out of this one? Professor Challenger at the Precipice of Oblivion starred Robert Durbin as Philip Peregrine, Darren Freebury-Jones as Professor Challenger, Tim Atkinson as Carruthers, Adam Ankin as the Norwegian Captain, and Laura Phillips as Daisy McFarlane. You've been listening to an anthology production written and directed by Robert Thomas and Darren Freebury-Jones.